Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young's Angel in the Forest. So we're on page 43 with a chapter. Wonderful. Uh, I mean, it's it's really good weather out. It's gorgeous. It's going to be all of 91 today. Whew. I'm out here going to read and, and I got to get back inside. It's going to be hot. Okay. Uh, we're on a chapter called City Whose Ten Gates Are of Gold. Harmony bristled with life and activity. There was no decadence of the state, evidently, although the individual may have seemed, from some perspectives, apathetic. Harmony was harmonious, although based upon an assumption of a schism in the universe, a barrier dividing men from men, yet who skips the power of a similar illusion, a skull which, rotted and rain-whitened, looks down on every mortal traveler? Examination of the Rapite architecture reveals nothing so much as the trust was ba that trust was based on distrust, recklessness on caution, radicalism on conservatism. The one luxurious private dwelling, like a feudal castle surrounded by huts, was Father Rapp's, a red-brick mansion with turrets, gables, lace curtains, and privacy. It was provided, moreover, with two lightning rods, a measure which seems rather unnecessary for a man so well apprised of the intention of the deity, even as to his last gilded dragonfly hanging motionless over a green-scummed pond, his being capitalized, uh, gods, or deity. There were several barracks or dormitories, some for women, some for men, as the sexes were not trusted together. The smaller houses were built with no door facing any other door. An architecture to discourage gossip over the fate of the stallion, the black hen, the cheese head, and that waste product, the world, what was going to become of it all. The granary, smelling of wheat and innocence, was provided with loopholes, rifle racks, and ammunition. The hollyhocks, fat, cow, cr fat crows, gooseberry bushes, and peaceful atmosphere serving as a camouflage, a smoke screen in the eyes of the exterior enemy, whereas the underground passage was a system to guarantee control from within should there be a worm in the wheat. There were, however, no exterior enemies, only a few lazy Indians and squatters, like so many Philistines, like so many grasshoppers for whom God had no plans whatever. The squatters were aware that Father Rapp held a monopoly on trade and perhaps on God, they did not resent such privileges, nor scriptural communism, all of which were a little beyond their field, a watermelon patch. They did, however, object to celibacy as a practice among married people. It seemed to them uncalled for, a denial of impulse and contradiction to all they had ever experienced, an escape from responsibility, and an appeal to the baser passions of men. They expressed their objections by writing obscene words on the rapite walls. Driven by desperation, a man rode into harmony in his nightshirt astride a white horse, shouting hallelujah for the entire human race. Woe, he said, upon the infidel who builds an empty house. Woe upon the selfish heart, for God is a lover of little children and baby owls. However, as this reformer was slightly addled by rapite whiskey, he fell rigid from his chivalric mount, which eventuality was just... Which eventuality? Eventuality? No, eventuality was just another example of God's will working in mysterious ways. Okay, so one person got a little crazy <laughs> that they actually have a record of. Perhaps the building which attracted most attention from outsiders other than squatters was one described as problematical. 
Frances Trollope, when she visited in America, lamented the absence of German castles to enhance the Ohio, that primitive river which had so many characteristics in common she felt with the Rhine. On the banks of the Wabash at that date she would have found a cruciform church, the plans of which had been handed down from heaven during a thunderstorm, and black ink on a golden scroll. Mrs. Trollope, a sophisticated student of human nature and imperfectibility, would have been unimpressed probably by the celestial origin as she was by Cincinnati a strictly human concept, and by Neshoba. Of Neshoba, Francis Wright's community for the freeing of Negro slaves, she reported only, with acrid humor, that the cold starlight shone through the chinks in the roof, and the rats gnawed all night in the floor. And that was that. Still, the Rapite Church was, with its many aisles and stately colonnades, an unusual building for this region, a London gentleman, Mr. Herbert, affirmed. There were four entrances, closed by folding doors. The doors were about 120 feet from each other, the upper story supported by 28 pillars of walnut, cherry, and sassafras, the walnut pillars being 6 feet in circumference and 25 feet high, the others 21 feet high and of a proportionate circumference. The measurement suggested various arcs of God in the architecture employed by the glorious Solomon. There, the similarity ended. There was an effect of grandeur, but no grandeur, nothing for the delight of the eye. No golden fretwork, no integration of material and spiritual riches, no company of Byzantine angels, not even a bright-eyed not even a bright-eyed possum, not even a groundhog, hypostasized into unto eternity. It was all a hollow immensity, a feeling of unutterable loss. Although the cosmos might fluctuate every day when according to rigorous schedule, never a deviation from what was here the normal order. Each morning when the cow shed when the cows, oh, when the cows heard blew his ivy wreathed horn, then out of their stalls and back gardens the cows came marching toward greener pastures, two by two, their bells clanking. The cows heard, known as Gabriel, no relation to the angel or a very remote one, drove a wagon on wheels, known as Noah's Ark. An old sailor on his, this prairie, he would measure his course by shadow and star, tacking due northwest past apple trees, due southeast past a knoll of locusts. Or he might follow that equatorial line, a rail fence at the edge of the angelic hop meadow. Gabriel had at least that power of choice. Gabriel blew the trumpet for the Rapites to awaken. On the side of Noah's Ark, there read the community newspaper, which contained no news but news from nowhere, though it was short and sweet. Lo, the Lord was with them, wherever two or three were gathered together. They were informed day after day. Lo, they should go forth as a sign to the loom, hattery, apple-picking, distillery, furnace, piggery. Lo, they were the heirs of salvation, though the earth should be destroyed, and the heavens also, for they and the Lord should come, should both endure above time, above space, above accident. To abreast, the Rapites marched to the appointed task, keeping time to a marital music which or is it martial? Martial music, which the band played from its shells, from its shell on the hills. A mighty fortress is our God, who moveth mountains by a mustard seed, and whose word is sharper than a two-edged sword. The working day was twelve hours, excluding the time taken for meals, of which there were four, food being in this community an all-engrossing subject. On the other hand, they needed strength for their huge task. As many as a hundred acres of wheat were harvested by sickle in a single day. There was never an empty moment. Everybody did a little more than his share. Everybody was glad to see each day a step nearer the end. There was an important ritual, a relief from monotony. Sometime before sunset, Father Rapp, wearing a cleric's gown, 
and it backfires. <laughs> um, wearing a cleric's gown, which, slightly stiffened by flour, rattled accordingly, heard the confession of sin. It is difficult to guess what these good people imagined their sin to be. There were certainly no wife-beaters or horse-thieves around. Still, there was always the interesting possibility of error. None should be puffed up. God despised above all things a double-headed man, Father Rapp said, and that vanity of vanities the tongue. He urged discretion in the use of that little member, the tongue, which boasted great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth! Nor must they let their thoughts wander far. Whoever would be the friend of the world was the enemy of God, Father Rapp said. They were ever endangered by their proximity to the United States of squatters. <laughs> United States of squatters. That's a good, yeah, yeah. Another important ritual. At sunset, in the presence of a few elders who had no official function but to uh, be eyewitness to this and similar operations, Father Rat performed funeral services when necessary. Dust to dust. God had laid in the beginning the foundations of the earth and the heavens. The earth and the heavens should wax old as a garment, but God should remain ever the same, and his years should not fail. For the heirs of salvation, God had prepared a lodging, a space in him. There would be not one feeble person among the tribes of the raised, but the soul made white as snow, when from smoky distance the Son of God would ride with heron-winged angels to put into subjection the world to come. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. There could be, in view of such an immediate prospect, no mourning for the dead. The open graves were filled with flowers, turkey-beard, buckwheat, foxglove, wild oat, and clothes with a fitting gesture. Soon the grass grew over that place like a wave, and the quail rustled in the long grass. As the graves were not marked with stones, for these would be a sign of individuality even under the long grass, the exact locality of the dead was soon lost in cloud and mist. Mr. Wolfgang, for example, could never tell where Mrs. Wolfgang was. A chart was kept in the company archives, however, a series of rectangles, some marked, some as yet unmarked, along with the various columns of profit and loss. After sunset, the band played hymns while the men dozed on the doorsteps and the women busied themselves with their housework, as women have done from time immemorial. At nine o'clock, as church bells rang, all retired to their separate beds, like the caterpillar to its mud existence, every caterpillar to be a butterfly. All night long, the watchmen walked the streets. There were two suicides among the Rappites in Harmony, and that is a good record of any such impression of absolute order. The body of a fair-haired infant was found by a squatter in a cave on Indian Mound, and was attributed, however mistakenly, to the Rappite celibates. Aww. Their adversary, like a roaring devil, walked about, seeking whom he might devour, but none, a few, or few, were devoured. Perhaps a few beat their heads against the earth. On the whole, however, all things were done decently and in order. No evil communications corrupted good manners. This community was framed, after all, in the word of God, who had never told a lie. Besides, there was no gossip to exchange. It would have been impossible to, gauge it, to engage in imaginary horse-betting or boast of imaginary riches. Nothing wonderful could be told, as all obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which had been delivered to them by the bright angel in the hot field between the river and the piggery. He had pointed out this world's deficiencies. Besides, the mightiest fish that was ever caught would pale by the side of that immortal leviathan, the New Jerusalem. For once in history, the pocket country lacked, it seems, its professional liars, at least discounting squatters at the gate of harmony. Life, for all its poetry, was made up of many prohibitions, usually imposed by the collective, a harder taskmaster than Father Rapp. It was considered an offense against the state to tear one's garments. Woe to the man who caught his trousers on a nail. Woe to the woman who slammed a door. Woe to the woman who disposed of a half-spoiled cabbage head. 
Such details were almost as important as the hope for an eternal life, perhaps more important. For a violation of rules, social ostracism was the most effective punishment imaginable. Conformity was the great good and happiness, every Christian soldier exactly equated with every other. How sad that one should be toothless and that another should have teeth. Yet all were members as they knew of Jesus Christ's body, the spiritual state. If they did not die in it, they could not live in it. On July 4th of each year, at a table groaning with food, the Rapites celebrated their escape from Germany to the United States, where they had found freedom to worship as they pleased. There were three or four other feast days, among these the Lord's Supper, and the autumn of each year when the pumpkins had ripened. Except as migrants from one community site to another, most of the Rapites not set foot off their estate, of which the boundary lines were marked with white flags, to announce both to themselves and others the difference between the heavenly within and the earthly without. Only Gabriel, the cow's herd, had freedom of motion within bounds, and seemed peculiar, the one deviant, and likely to be engulfed by a sense of his own importance. Others walked the beaten path. Their exclusive use of the German language furnished another barrier between themselves and their neighbors. All they could see from their constricted area was the hard life of the average pioneer who was, as likely as not, whiskey drinking, tobacco spitting, undernourished, a scarecrow at the borderline of this utopia. In state elections, Father Rapp cast the ballots for the citizens of Harmony. He fought in their name for banking laws and the law of progeniture, primogeniture. Oh, shoot, I forgot what that was. Primogeniture. Primogeniture. What is it? He opposed in their name Negro slavery, a rival order. There was never a dissenting voice among them. What is primogeniture? I know what that is. Dang it, I had to look it up. I forgot. Of harmony, the poor squatter said, considering his own hard lot and the smallness of his onions, I studies it and I studies it. He could see only the granary, the wharves, the shining vats, the horseshoeing department, the very real prosperity. He could see only what met his eye, more or less. Hearing of the angel Gabriel, who had not so much as scared a hen from its roost, he said, Well, I never. Well, I never. Well, I'll be gosh danged. He asked Dusty, one of the numerous Indian chieftains without tribes and other sad relics of former glories in the pocket country, did anyone see an angel in the forest anywhere, a tall man with wings outspread like an eagle's and maybe a dove in his mouth? Nobody ever had, though some were drunk with whiskey, though some had no confidence in the flesh. He went home with his hands empty and told his wife, who had just got through having another baby in the pork tub. She was plumb sick and tired, she said, of his empty hands and his empty talk. The way he had promised her this and the way he had promised her that, a side of bacon and all he had ever brung her was a gosh-danged possum and a roasting ear. Okay, pocket country. I'm assuming she's calling it the pocket country because Indiana's kind of shaped like a pocket. I don't know. I've never heard of that used as a nickname for it. If this was in Gianni, she wished she had stayed in Tennessee. There, where there was plank sidewalks and churches, and she could have wrung off the hog's head herself, and could have been a lady in a straw hat, and could have sung in the choir. They went to bed and argued the whole night long, never thinking of Jacob Schreiber, because they did not know him, and who can think of what he does not know of? If they had heard his story, they would have said, Well, I never. Well, I'll be gosh dang, and let it go at that. Jacob Schreiber was one rapite filled with the surging health of a newly discovered puberty, sufficiently mystifying. He saw a rapite girl distinct from the others, full-blown, her hair the color of barley in a green light, her eyes like the eyes of the shy doe in the forest. She was coming through the pasture gate one day when he noticed that she had a pair of feet. 
For some reason or other, he began to shake. He stopped her so that she could not go forward without running into his arms. When she moved backward, he followed her. He all but drove her off into the forest. There was a wild light in his eyes. What was Jacob Schreiber thinking of? Perhaps God had visited him with his light? Yes, it was God, Jacob Schreiber said, and put out his hand and touched her on the shelf of her bosom. It was this way a bee landed on a flower. Could they not join hands? For he said, "'Twould be the greatest happiness for the greatest number. And God had often appeared to the daughters of men, as when he took Hagar by the hand in the deserts of Egypt. Weep not, Hagar, God had said, for thy son shall be as, wild, as a wild ass among men. But the maid dwelled beside the untrodden ways. She threatened to scream. She ran straight to Father Rat, reporting all that had been said, how Jacob Schreiber had approached her, and how her blood had turned to ice. Father Rapp, although it was not like him to lose his temper, for he was ordinarily calm in the face of disaster, was mad enough to kill a hog. If Jacob Schreiber so much as thought of a reversion to decayed natural man, he would turn him forth without so much as the bag upon his back, or he would call down the thunderbolts from heaven, or he would chain Jacob Schreiber like a dog to the treadmill at the bottom of hell. He would stamp and stamp him into a thousand pieces and cast him upon the four winds so that on a resurrection day he might never be assembled with the others or crows would peck out the eyes of jacob schreiber high on indian mound jehovah was a mighty archer and would bring the wicked down yea verily come and touch me and liven the macabre banquet their property being shared in common even their coats not their own yet the raphites retained one item as strictly pertaining to the individual the chickens of whom they made the greatest pets. There were quarrels, alas, when a chicken got over into somebody else's garden and pecked at alien corn, a great scolding back and forth among irate neighbors. All the old animosities were thus displayed, the pent-up emotions, the sense of a perhaps basic injustice, and even the perfect arrangement. At such moments, faith seemed to waver like a wave driven by the wind and tossed. Father Rapp was regretful. Frequently, but not in the pulpit, he brought up the problem of chickens, as if on its solution depended the future of community, both on earth and in heaven above. He proposed that hens and roosters should be impounded as community property, too, like their eggs. It was wrong that one item should be exempted. Chickens were, besides, indiscriminate and cold-blooded, loving no man better than another, and might as well be put into one pen. Thus would be avoided unseemly conduct among the brothers and sisters who had broken the frost on the ground and had entertained an angel unaware. How grieved Gabriel would it be ever to arrive in the middle of a war over chickens? Balaam's ass, who saw an angel, had been wet at all times with heaven's dew. So should the Raphites be. Father Rapp's proposal was coldly, stonily ignored. He might have authority in all matters, even the stars in their courses, the most remote contingency, the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing out of the throne of God. But as to this, he was helpless, just an average man among men. Each rooster strutted, lord of his kingdom, each old hen cackled. The eggs in the nest were oval, white, and warm, warm under the breast of the brooder. It seems that the poultry yard was the one province beyond the powers of a scriptural communism, that new Jerusalem, a city as measured by the burnished reed growing by little streams. All right, and I had an update on my Miss Macintosh, my darling. I was all set to get it June 7th, and of course they pushed back the j date to June 15th. Come on, Dowkey Archive. I mean, every come on. There's a whole lot of people who use Amazon now. We know how easy it is to publish a freaking book. I have published multiple books, even hardbacks. Like, it takes no effort whatsoever, although it is really big. Okay, I take it back. Well, it would depend on the size. Yeah, they do have a page limit. Self-published. I don't know what they would do with a. I don't know what they do with a. 
publisher publisher but I did have to split mine into three volumes because it's almost as long as Miss Macintosh my darling <laughs> Uh, alrighty. Well, enjoy your weekend. Uh, we're going to have a great time. We're taking a three day weekend, um, and doing some traveling and some thrifting and, uh, yeah, having some fun. Oh, and some yard work. I think we're going to acquire some more yard yardage. So we're debating on whether we want to take on that responsibility or not, but we will know after this weekend. All right, I'll be back next week, probably around Tuesday. Thank you for listening. Bye.